0: Arigato to FFC. I am your salacious senpai, Damian Ellinghouse. Coming to you live and accompanied as always by Supreme Young Boy and lover of all things crossover, Ryan Doyle.
1: Oh man, does that mean I have to wash about' balls?
0: Yes, it does. God damn it. That is what it means. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a few days removed from what I do believe, my homerism aside, we can comfortably call uh, one of eight, well, well, for certain I can call it Probably the most cursed event in the history of professional wrestling uh from a card perspective, but also one of the most um anticipated and, if metrics are to be believed, successful crossover events in modern wrestling history. That's right. Of course, I'm talking about Forbidden Door brought to you by AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling, the first ever... Uh, official crossover event between the two companies. Uh, a once, it's it, it's it, it was an event that upon AEW's creation felt inevitable, then felt impossible, and then back and forth a few times, and then here we are now. And uh, for all of the curses, Ryan, I think we we came away with a pretty damn good event here. I don't know. Ryan's not sure, and that's okay.
1: No, there was uh one man that was not uh included, and uh, kind of ruined the show for me. So there was he not gets one a, man. that's a D plus. There was
0: not one man. There was a a many many men many 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 many, many men. Uh, Where was
1: King? Where was our King? I got my little got my little uh, salacious update in the morning. Backstage was an individual. And he wasn't there.
0: We are, of course, talking about the master thief, the true ace of New Japan, Torianu, not featured, uh, an absolute disgrace to the industry. Just don't know. I uh, Tony Khan, the book needs to get away from him. Uh, Gato has failed us uh we got to figure out something new but ladies and gentlemen we have much to discuss we have to talk about this we're going to talk about money in the bank happening in uh 3 2 days whatever uh and we're going to talk about uh you know what this means moving forward for the companies and taking a little bit of a look back uh at you know some other stuff we've talked about crossover events before so we're not going to do a full historical look back but i want to just kind of compare it to some of the other events that we've gotten even in the last like five years um and so with that ryan what are we drinking today
1: we are drinking a special collection or special in the thing, a special one from the collection that's right talking about white damien
0: well at least it wasn't uh at least it wasn't voodoo ranger
1: I was at Steely Dan last night. I had to put a ranger. I was like, no, I had to save this for tomorrow's episode.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, the reason this is coming to you, well, it'll come to you at the same time, actually, so it doesn't matter for you guys. But uh, uh, <laughs> Ryan had to go see Steely Dan, so I'm sure he'll talk all about that later. So is that, uh, is that mango I see?
1: It's tangerine. Oh,
0: tangerine. He's
1: tangerine. Going,
0: he's going with a, uh, I think that's a V3 uh, claw flavor.
1: Yeah, uh, no, no. V threes are pineapple and blackberry, which tastes like children's menace. Pineapple <laughs> is great, but pi- blackberry. I just decided I had a long, long discussion with a friend about how blackberry is trash. But to each their own. I know grapefruit people. I know raspberry people. Uh, but don't know many blackberry people. So
0: I don't know what my flavor would be. Uh, the watermelon is not bad. Um, I feel like mango is a classic. Of course, black cherry. Black cherry feels like the the OG uh, consensus favorite. I think that's mango fair to might say. be my favorite. I guess. What uh, you say? Well, I got something also fruity. Uh, this is coming from the land of a thousand uh, Belgians and saisons, Brewery Omagang, but no saison or bear, or. Uh, belgian today we've got the dream patch very colorful this is a fruited sour with cherry blueberry and raspberry uh little little fun little clouds and berries with with happy faces on it
1: it's a very whimsical uh design for omegang
0: this cherry berry fruited sour is here to stay Proof that dreams do come true. Bright cherries, tart raspberries, and sweet blueberries balance out the assertive, sour nature of this beer. It pours rosy red with a light, spritzy body of subtle bitterness brewed
1: with the sour gurus
0: of Belgium. leafments.
1: Okay, Brew Berries and are... Cream Guy is here by Ben from FFC. <laughs> 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 All right, Yo, I so... love those commercials, man. Do you remember the one with the... Uh... I guess was that Star Berries of Cream was Starburst, right? Yes. Do you remember yes. the old Skittles commercials?
0: Which one? The like the, the one, weird Taste the Rainbow ones?
1: The the one with the uh, the uh the Spanish guy like just raises his head for the desk and he's just like quack, quack. <laughs> and then the eagle comes over and feeds him Skittles, and he's like, Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> that was a classic <laughs> one. You know who did those? Uh Tim and Eric. Really? Yeah, Tim and Eric, uh they would do like commercials on the side. Like this is like when Tim and Eric like just started blowing up, but they worked for a couple of ad agencies. I believe I'm not sure if they're the originators of it, but they did do a couple of those old Spice commercials.
0: That tracks
1: I know for sure they did one with uh, the Ravens, the one with Ray Lewis, I think it was.
0: Uh yeah, yeah, that that definitely tracks.
1: Yeah, Ray Lewis ran up to a guy, stabbed him, and it was like, smells great. <laughs>
0: um, all right, so we crack and we sip. Well, that that is just delightful.
1: What is? Oh, your your berries the, and cream. Th-
0: the thing that I just drank.
1: Yes. Nice. Is it uh, more... lactose Or is it more of like a uh, spritz?
0: No, no. I, I'm not even sure that this has lactose.
1: So just your standard sour guy?
0: No, this is like a... No, no, it's not. Because it does have like a Belgian hint to it. It almost tastes like a...
1: A berry wheat?
0: You know what? It's like a a less Belgian-y, I guess, form, like, version of the Red Delirium Tremens.
1: Oh, okay. Like
0: the Red Elephant One. Alright, cool. Like, it's like a nice, like, fruity... Uh, no, 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 well. Yeah, it's like, like, I wouldn't call it like a, you know, like a, a Belgian double or something like that. It's just like a nice fruity, you know, with a little bit of Belgian yeast balance. It's, it's nice. It's nice. I like it. Very nice. Okay, so... Straight to the brass tacks, Ryan. So, Forbidden Door. The first ever official crossover between All Elite Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, before we even get into any of the real thingies about this, let's start with just from... The time it was announced to after the show, Ryan. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Do you feel it lived up to expectations? Uh, do you feel that it was a worthwhile thing to watch? How, what 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 was your immediate takeaway?
1: The same exact uh, feeling that I got the first time I watched uh, ECW One Night Stand, and was it the card promise? No but I know it's going to lead to bigger and better things. And it was uh, an, a special night. It was years of fantasy booking years of, uh, you know, just awaiting a major new Japan American show to finally happen here, whether or not it was with AEW or not. We saw, we saw an AEW, sorry, we saw a new Japan show f- filmed within like, an American wrestling uh, lens. And it's very cool to see. Uh, This was great. This lived up to all my expectations and beyond.
0: So, yeah, I I think Ryan brings up a good point because if you go back, right? So new Japan, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, they, they, so they had working relationships way in the past with impact, but that was stymied pretty quickly. Just a combination of people not being happy with how people were treated over there. Okada was a big, you know, his excursion over there was not well received. And then, you know, they didn't really run any crossover shows with that. But since 2007, they've run a handful of uh, CMLL and Ring of Honor shows, probably the like biggest Crossover New Japan show that anybody would remember was the G1 Supercard in 2019 when jay White single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden. But of course, this event came with a lot of controversy. So, but we will we will talk about Actually, no. You know, well, it, this is a good place to start. So, since 2019, this is the first real crossover event right now. Of course, the pandemic had a lot to do with that, but So going back to 2007, right, you have the first real crossover event that you can point to from New Japan, at least in their modern history, seems to be somewhere around 2014 when Ring of Honor New Japan ran the first War of the Worlds. This is back when Adam Cole was Ring of Honor champion, uh, when Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen, was still there. Uh, this was ran in at Hammerstein, right? So it was in America and, but of course, as people know, this was a kind of, this was like a weird era for Ring of Honor. This was kind of like the last big hurrah for Ring of Honor, but things were already starting to go downhill, right? Because this is when the top of your card was like Adam Cole, Red Dragon, the Bucks, Kevin Steen. Was Coring uh, around? Cornette? Not sure. This was the era where you had the Briscoes, Roddy Strong yeah. with their ACH. So, and Adam Page, right? So so this is what some people would consider, like, some people might consider this their Ring of Honor. Um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of fond memories about, like, Cole and, and Steen and everybody's time there. But it was still a far cry from, like, you know, 2007... Christopher Daniels, Joe, like it was a a
1: very formidable, formidable period for Ring of Honor.
0: Very much so. But by 2014, yeah, by 2014, Ring of Honor, my point really is that Ring of Honor, this partnership worked out really well for them. But it also, you know, New Japan got kind of limited exposure from this just because Ring of Honor did feel very niche in this era like if you were a wrestling fan you probably loved ring of honor but you got very little mainstream exposure out of this uh you know not i'm in Japan a different story but
1: well new over- japan i mean like people were watching it but it wasn't like they weren't entering their uh i mean it's fair to say that kenny omega okada really opened the door with the Bucks and stuff like that. So in terms of like a worldwide exposure, like New Japan has, hadn't hit that just yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then throughout the years, you would have a couple of joint Ring of Honor shows, you know, Honor Rising, War of the Worlds, the G1 Supercard. And then you also had um, what was referred to as Fantastica Mania, which was between New Japan and CMLL. And so because you know CMLL and AAA obviously the two biggest uh promotions in Mexico and the uh the partnership between CMLL and New Japan is definitely uh, very important to their modern history because this is where Naito went when he was trying to find himself. And it's where he comes back from New Japan in uh, to New Japan in 2016, creates Los Ingunnables de Japon. Uh, and to this day, you know, they they maintain a relationship. And part of this is the reason why we weren't able to see Triple A contracted stars uh, on Forbidden Door. Uh, but again, point being, the G1 Supercard was the best. Biggest card that New Japan had ever ran in America. Um, Aside from, I don't remember if... No, I don't think Ali and uh, Inoki took place in America, right? I think that was Japan. Uh, Yeah, that was at Nippon Budokan. So probably the biggest American show New Japan had run. Um, But what was more significant to that, of course, was... It was, like, the first time that someone that wasn't WWE ran a wrestling show out of uh, Madison Square Garden since 1960. That's crazy. 1960 was the last time a non-McMahon-ran company ran a wrestling show at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Just for, like, perspective there... Nineteen sixty, I think you're talking. That's like the WWE Championship wasn't even created yet. No, I'm like think
1: even you're talking like,
0: like Buddy Rogers, Buddy era.
1: Rogers, yeah. So, like the first, it, the first gen of like modern Ameri- like modern American wrestling stars, yeah. Like not just like not just like, hey, buddy, that's that's a rival. You know, yeah. you're starting to get like. Actual characters and
0: yeah, yeah. This is know. this is like what is often considered like the start of the golden age of wrestling. So of course, like the early 30s through 50s, you know, you're getting Luthez, and then you get Vern Gagne later on. But yeah, Buddy Rogers is very much in that era. You know, him, Killer Kowalski, Vern mm-hmm. Gagne, the WWF. Um, so just just for perspective, like on how big a deal that was. But, uh, Ryan, do you recall what happened at this show that made it maybe not quite as, um, what's the word I'm looking for, widely praised as maybe it should have been?
1: The 2014 show?
0: No, no, no. The G1 Supercard.
1: Oh. Um, was someone on the card? An individual?
0: So, what happened, if you will recall, there was a couple of people that showed up and there was like a weird work shoot angle. Do you recall who those two people were? They showed up from the
1: crowd. Was it Gallows and Anderson?
0: No, it was Enzo and Cass.
1: Oh, shit. You you remember Enzo and Cass? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yep.
0: Enzo and Cash show up at the G1 Supercard and they they I don't know I forget who they start fighting with really uh, but it was after the IWGP Tag Championship Ring of Honor World Tag T- I think that's when it happened they might have started like Going after the Briscoes or, or Villain Enterprise or some shit. But this was also where very famously Tamatanga and Tonga Loa came in and Tamatanga throws the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship across the room. And he's like, this belt is fucking trash. This company is trash and buries the shit out of Ring of Honor at mm-hmm. this joint show. Uh, this was also a show, though, where Kazuchika Okada and Jay White, you know, Kazuchika Okada takes back the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and... Uh, But before that was Matt Taven versus Jay Lethal and Marty Scurll, you know, so like the common thread throughout this was that New Japan knocked their matches out of the park, out of the park. And Ring of Honor took a giant shit all over this event and turned this like really, really big deal of an event Mm -hmm. into like. I don't give a shit anymore. And it kind of ruined ring of honor and new Japan's relationship yeah. to some degree. And then ring of honor folds. Okay. So. And, and the reason I'm going into this much detail is just because I really want to like set the table for like forbidden door was a really fun event. But to be honest, the history of you know, behind it and the history of, of what it means moving forward is, I think, more significant than what happened on the card itself. Would you agree, Ryan?
1: Yeah, no, it was very important that a home run was hit because not that I would expect New Japan to pull out their partnership, but they, I feel they are very fickle when it comes to getting what they want out of an American partnership.
0: Yes. And as Ryan has pointed out many times on this show, uh, New Japan has kind of struggled to create that foothold in America that they've wanted to, especially since like really expanding outward and, and coming out of Enokiism. And so, uh, exactly like as Ryan said, this was like a really important thing for New Japan to get right, for AEW to get right, and for the kind of like larger wrestling world. Um, but of course, this does not mean that everything was roses, right? This announcement comes in April of 2022. In, and and Adam Cole and Jay White together announced that Forbidden Door is going to be happening. And Jay White shows up in AEW. And that's a very cool moment. And uh, Obari comes out with Tony Khan, Obari, the, the president of New Japan. And they announced this together, except they don't announce it. Adam Cole and Jay White announce it. But the event ends up happening like... Some three weeks after Dominion for New Japan, when a major title change happens and Jay White defeats Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, and comes like about a month or so after AEW runs double or nothing. So the timing was weird. There was not a lot of time for the build. And this was definitely where this event struggled the most, right? So they announced that they're running this out of the United Center. Or United Arena, I always forget. United Center,
1: United right? Center, yep. Uh,
0: which I, I gotta think at this point, like Chicago has to just be the greatest wrestling town in the world, right? By at this point, at yeah. least from like a a crowd dynamic perspective.
1: Well, it's the crossroads of America, and you can get. It's kind of like the NWA of like wrestling fans. You can get everybody from across the country, and it's not like you know, like oh, I can't make the trip. Like if you if you're dedicated, like. You can get the people from the West Coast, get the people from the East Coast, people from down South. You can get Canadians. Like, it's a very accessible point in America.
0: Except for the Japanese, ironically enough.
1: Except for the Japanese. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's closer to them than in New York is, though. So.
0: Yeah, no, no, that is true. Um, so which
1: shout outs to uh, the super fans, which I'm assuming, you know, I'm assuming they're from Japan, but uh, the two guys in the uh, suits in the front row. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm sure they got flown out. So Uh,
1: we're from Kansas City, you fucking racist douche.
0: No, there you go. (laughs) Uh, So this gets announced and, and the build is haphazard. Now, of course, the big, big thread here is Ryan, just off the top of your head, who was injured for this show? Who can you think of off the top of your head from both companies? Kenny. Kenny Omega. That's right.
1: Is uh, Naito still hurt?
0: Naito is, like, kind of maybe hurt. He's also, like, very fragile. They might be saving him for the G1. I've also heard other rumors that there might have been some... Uh, other politician that might have led to him not being there. Yeah, well, there.
1: That's, I mean, he was not hurt, but Ibushi is uh, MIA currently. Well,
0: Ibushi is both hurt and also publicly feuding with the company, and no one knows what's happening there. Uh, of course, the big thing is what was what was announced for the main event was CM Punk, defeat, who had just defeated Hangman Adam Page for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, is going to take on Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW title. And then immediately after, not one week after CM Punk wins the title, uh, he, like, fucks up his foot jumping into the crowd and has to pull out, which then leads to Tony Khan announcing uh, the interim title, which then in our last episode we detailed, John Moxley uh, becomes the number one contender after defeating Kyle O'Reilly. Um, so he goes on to face Tanahashi, who defeated Goto to become number one contender. That... Instantly is a huge change. This was going to be CM Punk's return to Chicago as champion, headlining their biggest crossover event ever. Uh, It was going to be a huge deal. So that's instantly a blow. Brian Danielson announces uh, three days before the show that he cannot compete at that or Blood and Guts, which happened this like yesterday uh, when he's supposed to take on Zack Sabre Jr., a match literally almost like a decade in the making. Uh, Kenny Omega, of course, hurt since well, hurt for like four years, but out since full gear back in November of 2021. No timetable to return. Red Dragon, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish both injured. Ibushi and Naito both injured. Juice Robinson with the U.S. title injured. Um, and the list just kind of went on and on, and it was like, oh. Then they announced Hiromu Takahashi is going to be teaming with Sting and Darby Allen and Shingo Takage in Dudes with Attitudes. And then Hiromu gets a fever and can't show up. Like it was it was cursed. This was a cursed fucking I event. I forgot about that. Yeah, dude, because you just you start losing track. Adam Cole worked that match hurt and gets hurt in the match, leading to a weird finish like it was very cursed. And look, cards on the table. Build was not great. AEW does not like running promo packages. And I understand that that's a way they're trying to differentiate themselves from WWE. But if you're not going to let the New Japan guys, especially ones like Zack Sabre Jr. or Will Ospreay, um, people, you know, guys that can talk. If you're not going to let them go over and put themselves over and let people know who they are, you have to run promo packages for why anyone should care about them. And they didn't do this. They ran El Desperado out. uh, to join with Jericho Society and then he gets put on a pre-show and they make no mention of really what his deal is. Zack Sabre Jr. comes out at the very end of Danielson announcing that he can't be there and that a special person's taking his place. He gets no time. So it was it wasn't great unless you were Jay White. Jay White was fine. And then obviously Okada showing up like he's Okada's Okada he's and Tana's Tana. But would you would you agree that like like did you feel that the build was not great or did you feel like it didn't matter as much?
1: I don't know if it's because they couldn't get the, the pieces in place in time. Uh, you know, I, Okada was not even thought of to be on the card, and then he shows up like a week later. So I don't know if that was like logistical issues.
0: AEW I think that really, was them working you. I, th- I think Okada was yeah. always going to show up, but they, you know, they want to make it weird.
1: AEW really benefit from like a, you know, they don't have to run promo packages, but they would really benefit, especially in the situation like this. Just have Tony do like a YouTube special anything like 30, really 30 30 minutes just having him like run down the card what you should expect who you should know um they gambled which the, the live crowd obviously you didn't have to convince but they gambled on the casual audience just knowing who these people are and it kind of shout out to milwaukee for you know not an expected wrestling town you know, I'm not, you know, they're north of Chicago, so it's not exactly out of the question, but, you know, they had to hit home runs in some of these pops, and I don't think they did for certain ones, but, like, with Okada, like, people know the coin drop, and that's a very good sign. Uh, New Japan should feel happy about that. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, you know, the logistics weren't great. Um. But they, like, and also in AEW's perspective, they still have a show to run, and they can't dedicate I mean, they should, but they can't dedicate, like, you know, most of their time to just forbidden door, forbidden door. You know what I mean?
0: It's. I feel yeah. like they had
1: somewhat of a duty to further explain, but obviously I don't think it really made a difference in the end.
0: The timing made it weird because it feels like they just didn't give themselves enough time to build anybody properly aside from, like, Jay White. And, you know, they did heavily feature United Empire and Osprey and specifically... uh um, Aussie Open really put in a lot of work to make themselves known, even without a mic in their hands. But, um, I, I and, and, and to your point about like, you know, expecting casuals, I, they really just let the casuals out in the dust. And they were like, this is something for the hardcores. And it does feel like a missed opportunity. And one thing that everyone's favorite dirt sheet reporter, Mel- Dave Meltzer, mentioned is that, um, it had an extremely low buy rate after it was announced. Like it was announced. And it sold out almost immediately. The But then the secondary market, you had like $4 tickets. And he said like, like 200 tickets were sold after that initial bump. Implying that like this build helped no one to purchase at least like a live ticket. However, Tony Khan goes on Twitter and, you know, believe him to your own risk, I guess. But he announces that the gate is over a million and that they did almost $5 million in pay-per-view buys. And we're probably looking at something that's north of a 100,000 buys. So all, all in all, what mattered at the end of the day was, first off, the crowd. This, this had to be so refreshing for the New Japan wrestlers who have not really heard people cheer for them in two years. And this was a crowd that really knew every New Japan wrestler that came out and... What I even noticed was like they were chanting for the Japanese wrestlers the way that the Japanese do. You know, they've got the go ace chance the go ace, go ace. Okada, the Okada like they were Mm -hmm. they were really bringing that energy. And you could tell from the New Japan wrestlers that it was just infectious and they were just playing off this crowd. And at the end of the day. Uh, The book was sloppy, the booking was sloppy, there were injuries fucking everywhere, everything seemed doomed to fail, and at the end of the day, this event did everything it needed to do, and considering all of the fucking injuries, the lack of the biggest Gaijin crossover star maybe in New Japan's history in Kenny Omega... The loss of the ability for him to interact with Ibushi, a reunion of the Golden Lovers. No Naito on this show. No Bryan Danielson against Zack Sabre Jr., no CM Punk. For all of this, and for this to still be a successful event, is a huge win for wrestling as a whole. And it's not a win because you should care about either of these companies' bottom lines, but simply because... A successful event means you will get more. This is going to be seen as a partnership that is worthwhile to both parties. And regardless of how the revenue ends up getting split, I got to think both parties come away happy. And in New Japan's case, I think their wrestlers were really presented very well at the end of the day and the crowds went nuts for them. And I want to give a special shout out. To Excalibur, who really did everything oh, yeah. in his power leading up to MVP. this to to let everybody know. But credit where it's due, a big part that a big issue that I had was that Jr. and Tony just really didn't know a lot of people, and that was Jr.'s a big criticism of Jr. when he was announcing New Japan. However, when it came to Tanahashi and Okada, the two biggest stars in New Japan, he definitely put. Like, he put them where they needed to be and made them feel like a big deal. And that is what you bring JR for. And this also, I don't know about you, but the the commentary grouping of specifically Taz, Kevin Kelly, who I was so happy was there. I wish Chris Carlton Charlton could have, like, been on commentary. But the grouping of Taz, Excalibur, and Kevin Kelly – their their like energy was so infectious, and their their chemistry was just so fucking good.
1: Uh, I want to give a special shout out to Justin Roberts, and forgive me, I do not know the, the ring announcer for New oh, Japan. I
0: I also don't. I think he's new too.
1: But hey, you want to talk about feeding off the infectious crowd? Uh, I he seemed a little timid at the beginning, but man, dude, crowd's going nuts for the Japanese ring announcer. Yeah. Absolutely. That was great, dude. That was awesome, and he, uh, like you know, I don't know what English he knows, but he 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 picked up on it, especially at the end when they were announcing the uh, well, especially during the four way, and then at the end,
0: yeah. Um, just and and it really did. It just, it was just so much fun. At the end of the day, this was a show. That was just so fucking fun to watch. So, uh, like I said, like the history is more important of this, but but to run down the the matchups real quick, right? The buy-in had Aaron Solo and Q.T. Marshall against uh, Goto and Yoshihashi. Goto and Yoshihashi won, and it was you know fine, whatever. Lance Archer and Nick Camarado, again, fine match. Uh, but a real highlight of the buy-in and, and of the pay-per-view in general was uh Swerve in My Glory Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee versus uh the Suzuki Goon Goons of Yoshinobu Kanemaru and El Desperado um a really strong showing for uh Despi and Ness because thank god Despi is my fucking boy um and then you had Max Caster and the Gun Club take on the LA Dojo of Yu Uemura, Yu- 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 Alex Coughlin, the DKC and Kevin Knight um the real winner here, Max Caster, for mocking everybody oh for watching hentai and Amazing. watching Shibata's balls. Love that. <laughs> Love that for everybody. Um, But the main card. First, you were looking at Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki against Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and the return of the death rider's partner shooter himself Shota Umino now shota has been doing excursion in rev pro and in the uk and to be honest he's been a little bit lost in the shuffle especially because uh Suji and uemura uh people who graduated after him are looking already stronger great okan uh and uh wato master wato coming back and and you know finding their groove so Shota, who was seen as a real possible ace and, of course, son of Red – head referee Red Shoes Umino. Uh,
1: Oh, my God. That's right, dude. Yeah, it's
0: Red Shoes Kid. And the history here is that Jericho beat the shit out of Shota in his match against Tanahashi when the the phrase forbidden door was first ushered by Tanahashi Um, and when Jericho was still AEW champion and then, like, beats up Red Shoes. This match was probably supposed to be, I would guess, Moxley, Kingston, and Shota, but due to the card changing around, this is what we got. Um, this match was a lot of fun, and Shota Umino looked like an absolute fucking star, as did Wheeler Yuta. Just, like, a great showing from everyone in this match. And look, credit where it's due. Chris Jericho, uh, noted piece of garbage trash. Uh, he did his job. Suzuki is always a ton of fun, and and the specifically the exchanges between Suzuki and Kingston were just so good. It's just such like you have to think Kingston was creaming himself, uh, being in a ring with Suzuki, and you uh, can tell
1: New Japan needs to sell Umidos Jack. I would buy that, that in a heart.
0: That dude truly looks like Hiroshi Tanahashi, and his charisma was on full display
1: here. And they really did a good job uh even afterwards um when as ridiculous as it was jericho throwing the fireball in umino's face mm-hmm. it just it it sets up for the future and it like it also sets up like you know just a place for umino moving forward because like again something that could have been benefited from you know why? Who, why should we care about Umino? Who is Umino? You yeah, know what I mean? because
0: they, there's the, you don't the 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 casual crowd is not going to know that he was a young lion that Moxley beat up and then took under his wing. You're you, you're not going to know that, so he mm-hmm. had to stand on his own. Great point.
1: Uh, credit to you, to, he, just, he just gets it.
0: He's so he, good. He just we gets it. we've been you, talking, been about, talking him about him forever,
1: even before he even showed his face on AEW. But yeah. I love it. Ed, yeah, Eddie Kingston looked like a kid in a candy store.
0: It, he had a, a great time. Then you had one of the best matches of the night. Uh, the winner takes all. Ring of Honor World Tag Team and I.W.G.P. World Tag Team titles. F.T.R. Jeff Cobb and Great O'Con and Rapongi Vice. Uh, Trent of Best Friends and Rocky Romero. The Chaos Junior Duo reuniting. This match had a little bit of everything for everyone. It was chaotic everybody's like star power got to shine. And I was saying this to Ryan earlier, but it is remarkable how FTR have done almost nothing to change their characters, even a little bit. They are just like slightly, slightly less smarmy and a little, little tiny bit less of chicken shit heels. And they are like the big fucking, like the biggest faces in AEW. It's, 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 it's really remarkable how they've connected with the crowd. And I see a lot of jokes online about like, oh, the ring of honor and triple odd. And who cares about it? Listen, man, you're over. You're over. These dudes are obviously stars.
1: Perfect example of, uh, showing us, not telling us. And I, th- I think that's what they was, what their, uh, their inhibition to not connect with the crowd, but they're just like, all right, you're telling us you're the greatest. But meanwhile, you're, and you know that's a booking, but you know they weren't doing anything remarkable
0: after they won the titles and then lost them. Yeah, that was they Then they're floating around for a little bit,
1: coming out in a in your great grandpa's fucking Ford pickup truck. You know, it's like totally, ah, you know. But dude, oh my god, we, me and Damien are trying to trace it back to where it was exactly. I think good good starting point would be the Briscoes.
0: Yeah. And if you want to go back a little further, them deciding that they were going to stay out of the feud between MJF and Wardlow because they're like, listen, Wardlow's our friend. You're our friend. We don't really want to get involved in this. Like, just, I don't know. Once they stopped being with Tully, which is like, it had nothing to do with Tully. It was hardly Tully's fault. But just like, all it took was that. And just like I said, like just a little bit less heel antics, they yep. just started connecting and in the Briscoes match, absolutely put them over the top.
1: Great point. We are no longer uh, side characters in a in a group feud. We are a premier tag team. They're yes. certainly being treated like it.
0: uh They win this match, which is look, I love Okan, I love Cobb. Um, I wish their reign was booked a little better in Japan but this is the right call. Uh, the AEW tag titles do not need to be on FDR right now. Uh, let but the that's going to set up
1: for a fucking good feud.
0: Yes, let, let the Bucks do their thing with the tag titles and pass it on to some new teams, get some new blood in that division. And FTR has announced that they will be defending these in Japan. And the World Tag League is coming up after the G1. So don't be surprised to see them like maybe the last night of Japan because the bottom line is they are huge in AEW, but Tony Khan can afford to let them go and... Do their thing in Japan. It'll be great for, for the Japanese crowds love Gaijin like this. They love like hard hitting Gaijin. They they've always been fans of
1: they just have that look too. You know what I mean? Like and, certain and, Gaijin have a look and Dax and, and Wheeler definitely. They have
0: it. it. They the, you know, they very much have that Stan Henson energy that mm-hmm. made him such a big deal in Japan. Uh, And I think I think that having them in that division is going to do a lot because don't let New Japan's really bad booking of their titles uh, take away from the fact that the Japanese crowds have always really loved tag team wrestling because good tag team wrestling is impossible to not enjoy.
1: I really love for Vice. I wish they were kind of throwing a ball here because Beretta and Rocky like Rocky is like like I don't know. I don't think people talk about how like integral Rocky is to. Just the relationship between uh, America itself and New Japan. Like, you Absolutely.
0: Know I mean? he-, he he took over for Tiger Hattori as their liaison to America in general. And much of the credit has been given to Moxley, who was just somebody that New Japan really wanted to work with and help bridge that gap. But Rocky Romero was, was – seen largely by both parties as like the person instrumental in helping to make this happen. Uh, Rocky deserves every bit of accolades he's given. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rapongi vice had a lot of great matches in new Japan. They had some matches with red dragon. That was really good. Uh, ricochet and Matt said, young bucks, um, go back to like 2016 a little bit before when Trent yeah. and Chucky were over in chaos. And, and you'll be able to see some of that. Uh, Then you get on to the All-Atlantic Championship, which, again, here's another one I forgot about. Tamahiro Ishii, who is supposed to be in this match, uh, can't fucking show up and instead is replaced with Clark Connors, who is great. Love the Wild Rhino. But but significantly less uh, star power than Ishii. But nonetheless, Malachi Black, Pac, Miro, and Clark Connors put on a real fucking banger of a match first off. Miro, is, is Miro not just the most over fucking dude? Like, fuck yeah.
1: I, I Good love. Him. Good for him, man.
0: I love that Miro's getting the respect that he always deserved and got a lot in WWE. Uh, Rusev not working really had nothing to do with Miro had nothing to do with Rusev had nothing Mm -hmm. to do with Aiden English. Uh, the fact that they didn't pull the trigger on Rusev day is really fucking incredible. It's just, that's one of the better modern examples of WWE just fucking shooting themselves in the foot for no reason. It's It's a
1: perfect, I'm sure we talked about this before, but I think I was talking about this with somebody else. Like even when WWE gives you something dumb and you make it, you make chicken shit, chicken salad, they're like, nah, You know what? Nah. It's like, uh, you can't win.
0: (laughs) A perfect example is like this fucking storyline with Ezekiel, fucking Elias, Eldritch, and Kevin Owens. Well, That is the yeah. dumbest fucking thing, and it's working so well, and I'm really scared that the minute Kevin Owens disappears from this, all of that goodwill towards Elias, Ezekiel is just going to go out the fucking window. I
1: think, it, I think it's doing so well because Kevin Owens is willing to run with it. 100%. I mean?
0: Kevin Owens is really carrying this, but let's give credit to Elias, Ezekiel. I, I, I guess I'll just call him Ezekiel. Uh, We're we're waiting on Elrod, bro. He's always been a great like character guy. That's what he's been in WWE, and he's taken this and run with it as well. This Kevin Owens was the perfect guy to jumpstart this, and if they play it right, which to their credit so far they have, they can legitimately build him into somebody the crowd wants to get behind. So yeah, uh, we'll see. But anyway, uh, yeah, Miro being over as fuck. I love. Uh Malachi Black and Pat and Pac, I could really just watch them go at each other forever. Clark Connors mm-hmm. was, listen, I love me some Ishii, and I really think that Ishii would have completed this and made this like a complete A-plus match. But Clark Connors was a really great replacement. I love that New Japan trusted him in this spot. He had a terrific moment putting Miro through a spear. It's like a million bucks. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. I think, you know, again, I, w- I wasn't proved wrong, but I, you know, I said, Clark, you better run with it. Boy, fucking ran a mile. And he, he looked like a million bucks. And, and uh, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I guess he's a cowboy, too. but uh, He's you know. the
0: wild rhino. He's just like, uh, I'm just out of my mind. That's who he was as a young lion, too. He was just like, I'm fucking wild and I beat the shit out of people. He is probably the closest you'll get to an American Ishii from the L.A. Dojo.
1: He looked great. And you know what the most, even though he didn't win, you know how he won the match? Is that I thought he could win at one point.
0: Absolutely. There was that quick moment where you're like, oh, I don't know. He's suplexing the fuck out of everyone. Uh, And you know what? The right person won. Pac wins. Pac finally gets his title that he's deserved as one of the first true standouts in AEW. And I just love him finally getting something. I hope they booked this correctly.
1: Oh, my God, that missed spot. That yeah. made me jump out of my yeah couch, Malachi dude.
0: I love Malachi wow I, I love him so much oh
1: my goodness man I, oh. I I'm sorry for marking out about it it was just like like the way the camera was on him just like the absolute just
0: I will like, always mark yeah. out for a good miss spot every time when it's well now, done I'll mark out every time
1: now we have to see we have to see if uh, you know if there because there are for for casuals who do not know you got red mist, you got green mist, you have blue mist and then you have the black mist. And there's all there's all a different feature to what the mist does to the individual that gets applied.
0: Very much uh, so. Uh
1: green mist is like a is like a stun, I believe. The black mist is like mind control mist. And uh you know, that's what Miro got applied to him and he alluded to it that he's feuding with God, his god. And uh Maybe you know. I imagine it's setting up between Miro and 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 Malachi, but I I'm curious to see if uh, maybe Miro takes a run in the House of Black.
0: Yeah, the mist invented by the Great Kabuki, popularized by the Great Muda and Tajiri, and now carried on by Malachi by Asuka. Um, just great stuff. It's funny around. that you
1: mentioned that. Uh, M- Muda was also another uh, huge innovator of the mist. Am I correct?
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. The great Kabuki invented what is oh, that's referred what to, to right. as the Asian mm. mist. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not.
1: But if you ask, if you asked, asked if you asked a casual fan, they would probably attribute it to Tajiri. Yeah, uh, absolutely,
0: because Tajiri, like Muda, was a huge deal in America. But Tajiri worked at the right time and was. Shown at the right time, especially, you know, ECW, WWF. Like he, yeah, he got it over in America for sure. But Muda is probably the most famous practitioner of. So Malachi using the black mist to fuck with people's heads is great. Miro's already insane. I don't know how he can get more insane. His entire gimmick is also insane. His entire gimmick is quite literally, I used to love God and now I want to <laughs> tear God off the throne of heaven because I lost the title. So yeah. how you get more ridiculous than that, I don't know, but I will believe it. Um Then you got Dudes with Attitudes, which apparently I'm told is is the staying named some group that in WCW whatever I don't care uh was supposed to be a teaming of Sting and Darby and LIJ Shingo Takage and Hiromu Takahashi versus one night only bullet club Young Bucks El Fantasmo, and brother of Tamatanga and Tangaloa and other son of the King Haku Hikaleo uh but Takahashi had to pull out due to a fever Therefore, Hikaleo pulled out and it became Shingo, Sting, Darby versus the Bucks and El Phantasmo. Another match that, like, especially without Hiromu, I was like, "Eh, I mean, look, I love me some fucking LP. I love me some Shingo. But is this really going to be that good? Uh, And then they have Sting pretend to be up in the rafters and then jump off something high again. (laughs) And boy, if he just doesn't get me every time with it, Ryan.
1: I am i don't want it to end. I'm wondering when the Sting run will end. It has It has Let it, it go. Like,
0: he Let it go forever. Sting forever.
1: Dude. Oh, my God. This guy is 62. He's
0: 62. But is there any better way to use a 62-year-old than this? Nope. Like, look, because here's the deal. I can understand being like, oh, Sting always does the Sting. Sting never – like, Sting will get one over on you, and he'll do his Sting out and beat you. But, like –
1: it would he be does different it. if Sting's coming out here every week looking like Jeff Hardy, but yeah. Jeff Hardy is 20 years younger than... <laughs> and and obviously, like, you know, Jeff Hardy... Or, put- 80
0: years older physically.
1: Uh, Jeff and Matt look, put themselves Sting, through way more shit than Sting did, but I mean, Sting, like, Sting is Sting, just... Whatever he's doing, he, whatever he's eating...
0: He hasn't gone over any important young star where you're like, what the fuck are we doing? Sting is used very sparingly. This is I said this like I think we said this like a year ago when he first came out. But I'm going to say it again. This really might be one of the best uses of a legend I can think of. Mm -hmm. Like Flair with Evolution was good, although I would argue Flair really should have stopped being in the ring. But like him with Evolution was, was a pretty good use. A little Steamboat was good too. Steamboat it Steamboat it didn't,
1: was... it didn't last as long as I could but he could have definitely made a run in WWE. You're right. Steamboat
0: was probably the better example. Him and Jericho's feud, that was a a really good little last hurrah for Steamboat. But especially considering how long it's gone um this has worked out to everyone's benefit and I just love that there's this whole new generation of wrestlers that get to appreciate the stinger for mm-hmm. who he is. Yep. No, he gets uh, to
1: have he gets to have the final run that he deserved.
0: He he fucking also, you got the call of the night when uh El Phantasmo tried to do his nipple twist spot on Sting, and Sting <laughs> no-sold it. Nipple twisted him back, kicked him into balls, and you had Taz go, he got the areolas! Vert <laughs> followed by Kevin Kelly referencing King of the Hill. Sting kicks El Phantasmo in the nuts, and Kevin Kelly exclaims, That's my purse. So yes, good. Yes, that was great. So was great. good. Uh Sting Sting's team, of course, goes over on this, but Shingo gets the win, and that's what I love. And the crowd loved them some Shingo, love it so much. Then you had Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm, a real solid match. Uh, the crowd was not super into it, but for those that wouldn't not know otherwise, Tony Storm, which we mentioned last episode, was the longest reigning. Uh, champion for stardom's international championship, which I've forgotten the name which of. But... I
1: think people were glossing over because there was like this just do new UW match. No, I associate Tony Storm more with Asian
0: yeah, pan, with pan, pan Asian
1: wrestling than I do with her.
0: And that was exactly what her role was in Stardom. Right. And apparently it came out that Tony Khan wanted to involve Stardom, but all of the like big stars um were all booked up, so it just didn't make sense. But this match was a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh can we have a quick table discussion?
0: Yeah, table please. I mean I'm I'm doing this for 30 minutes now so I go feel
1: ahead. like I don't know. It, when certain things come out about individuals people are quick to turn Oh, you're and talking I,
0: about Rosa Sandbagging?
1: I am. And you know, it just kind of like people are just like, "Oh yeah, maybe she is like not good." And I'm like I, I, I don't know. It it's just the the Obviously, we're no strangers to this, but just the flip of the coin of of fans, because people couldn't stop talking about her, like, especially, you know, we discussed about whether or not it was a good move to have her win on a pay-per-view versus free TV, but I don't know. I just feel like people are like, yeah, no, she's not great. And it's just like, come
0: on. Yeah, come on, I, I thought it was stupid. Um-
1: I don't, like, the sandbagging accusation could be accurate, but... Why is Marina Shafir getting two title shots in a month? You know, so, I mean, for- there's de- there's legitimacy behind it. I'm not I'm not like I'm not dissing her, but I don't know. Regardless, it's just fickle.
0: No, no, no. It it is. There's uh. So for those that don't know, sandbagging in the wrestling business is when you for because no sell. It, yeah, when you it's it's a no sell, but unlike a Hulk up or a Sting no sell, it's when you unbeknownst to your opponent deadweight yourself Mm -hmm. because of course moves like power bombs and pile drivers and f5s and all those that requires the other person to you know cooperate with that move a to make sure it doesn't look like shit but b to make sure the move can be delivered safely because if somebody is expecting you to not deadweight yourself on something and you do that's when people get like their fucking necks broken and shit um
1: and and listen maybe i'm the one that is giving a pass to thunder rosa maybe she legitimately is a sandbagger but
0: well so where you know, this controversy came from was in a match with her against Lise, who is not probably the worst favorite.
1: person like maybe she was justified <laughs> but probably the worst individual to be like see i was right you know
0: uh yeah evalise is like a well known sandbagger and uh you know she's not the most popular uh wrestler in the world uh, she sandbagged real bad against Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa then did it to Marina Shafir. There were definitely at least two instances where it was obvious. And if you want like a good example of what does sandbagging look like, because it can be hard to tell if you like don't know what to look for, uh, the match between Undertaker and Hulk Hogan, at which pay-per-view was that, Ryan?
1: You're talking about Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan?
0: No, 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 no. That's the one where Shawn Michaels oversold. The one where it was Undertaker and Hulk Hogan and Undertaker and like Hulk just refused to sell or help Undertaker, Uh, which resulted in like the worst ever chokeslam of all time where like Hogan went up maybe two feet.
1: I'm not surprised, but I am surprised at that. If that makes sense.
0: Uh, Because, you know,
1: I thought there's one individual that Hulk would put himself over for would be Undertaker, but silly me i mean we don't have to fucking have a table discussion about fucking Hulk hogan, but no he's no no me.
0: no but i mean that's you know there there's a reason why that doesn't work for me brother is a is a hoganism but uh it was at judgment day 2002 that's right it was it was the build where Deadman inc biker undertaker dragged hogan throughout ah, the, that's right that was, remember that yeah.
1: Funny. yeah
0: uh that was the first vhs first pay-per-view i ever bought for wrestling. And I remember that. it's kind that- of
1: a shame too, because Hulk could have had a great run. I well, think all that shit just went to his head. I as, as if anything else could have went to his head. But I think him him transitioning, you know, like uh the famous story with him at when he was at WrestleMania against the Rock and then Vince is like, dude you, I'm gonna fly you home to get your red and yellow gear you know, I think he's like, Oh I'm back like you know what I mean? So anyway, uh, that's a that's another
0: It's funny because my nostalgia glasses tell me that, like, I just remember, I remember Undertaker dragging Hogan throughout the back and being like, man, that's so cool. What a fucking bad guy to be doing something like that to the American hero Hulk Hogan. And it's just, it is funny to see it as an adult. And you're like, wow, that match was fucking terrible. Why was why did that happen?
1: Oh, there's plenty of instances. uh, For example, the evasion. I I thought the evasion was fucking sick as a kid, but, you know, I had no context to it.
0: Well, which one? The WCW Invasion, ECW Invasion, or the NWA Invasion? Or the NWO Invasion?
1: Uh, No, the, the initial one. The, the initial WCW one, one right, after. exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah uh, not a good one. But anyway, uh, to return to the last matches where this pay-per-view really fucking goes mm-hmm. off the wall. You had Will Ospreay, who is current IWGP US champion after uh, Juice Robinson was stripped of it because he could not... Travel, so now he's holding the belt hostage, and the U.S. title in New Japan is easily the most cursed title in the history of cursed titles. Apparently, everyone that holds it gets injured against Orange Cassidy. And uh, look for you, those of you out there that was like, "Ooh, uh, this was uh, how could you have Will Osprey go against Orange Cassidy?" Um, you're idiots. Orange Cassidy has always been a good wrestler. Why do we not know this at this point? This to some people was the best match of the night and it was not just because Will Osprey has really stepped up his game, but because Orange Cassidy matched that energy. They were crushing this shit all night long. Um also, we should point out Osprey did not just put him away with a hidden blade. He had to give him the fucking Stormbreaker before Cassidy would go down. That's a big deal. I don't think anyone's kicked out of the Stormbreaker yet. Um, It was a really great match. And I'm so happy that – and honestly, Orange Cassidy is the type of guy that would definitely fucking kill in New Japan Mm -hmm. because Japanese crowds love – a good comedy wrestling spot, and they especially love when people can do like good physical comedy. And Orange Cassidy's entire gimmick is very good wrestler who is very good at comedy wrestling.
1: Oh yeah, um you know I don't know. We expect a Cassidy to Cassidy one, but it just it just adds to the little sparkle of him of when he will finally go over.
0: One day, that man is going to win either like a tag title with Trent or Chucky, or he's going to win the TNT title. And I'm telling you, the The entire locker
1: room is going to come out.
0: Everything is going to, the roof is going to come off of whatever place Orange Cassidy wins a title. And if it happens in a place where there is no roof, the crowds will install a roof to then throw it off. It's, going to be so good. Then you add Zack Sabre Jr. versus an unknown person Wait. that Brian
1: Danielson Back said. Up. Back up. Yes. What happened after the...
0: <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Dumb. After the match, Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open, they decide, we don't like that Orange Cassidy made things hard, and we're going to beat him up, and they beat him up. And then... Was it? It was Trent and Rocky come out to try and help out after their match. They're getting beat down too. Uh, And then what happens? Well, you hear some very calming, pleasant music. And out from the back comes the wrestler himself, the head of the LA Dojo and one of the three Musketeers, Katsuyori Shibata. Coming out beating people up, facing down with Will Ospreay, and then getting the sunglasses put on him by Orange Cassidy and being given the thumbs up. The crowd went nuts for Shibata. And again, this is what I'm talking about before. You have to think New Japan is in love with how the AEW fans responded to somebody like Shibata, who it'd be really easy for them to not know who he is. He hasn't been an active wrestler in five years. He is the head of the L.A. Dojo, and the L.A. Dojo is very rarely at AEW. He's not someone a casual would know. And for the crowd to explode the way they did for Shibata, you had to have loved that.
1: Now, here's an instance where New Japan has to be smiling because this is going to be setting up a New Japan storyline. They did it on AEW's time, Yep, and the crowd was totally into it. Uh, yep. you, could have, you could have given me a piece of paper and told me to list 10 individuals from New Japan that may have surprised us. I would have not listed Shibata only for the sole reason of like, we were kind of left in the dark of where he, what, what his status was. I mean, I don't know, maybe you know better than me. Did he get a little more time since his return match?
0: Well, so he had his return match at, um it was before Wrestle Kingdom. It was at the G1 finals against Zack Sabre Jr., but it was like a five minute exhibition catch all wrestling mm-hmm. match. And then he had a proper match. Well, it was supposed to be a non striking match against an opponent okay. of his choosing at Wrestle Kingdom. He chose Ren Narita, a young lion that uh, is widely considered to be Shibata Jr., and took the mic. And in something that was almost certainly, uh, you know, okayed by Obari, but like maybe also he just called an audible, Shibata was like, nope, full match. And had like a 10 minute full strike match with Narita. So. And 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 here's the thing Shibata would not just face off with Osprey for absolutely no reason whatsoever with no follow up. Osprey is the US champion, Katsuyori Shibata is the head of the LA Dojo. This is absolutely setting up at some point in the future an Osprey Shibata matchup. You might get that at Wrestle Kingdom. And yeah, so so he's only had those two matches. You might not necessarily call him a an active wrestler, but he proved that he can ma- he's ready to wrestle again. And I don't think you have him come out and and do this if there's not an angle to push forward for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, dude. And for a guy that got his brain removed in surgery and the comeback looking chameleon bucks
0: brain was on the fucking Got, got his brain removed, put up next to him from a subdural oh. hematoma after headbutting Kazujiko Okada in a match that's so good and now so unwatchable. Whatever. Anyway, great moment. And now, th- and oh, yeah. now, and now there is a forever picture of Katsuyori Shibata wearing aviators while Orange Cassidy leans on him and gives the thumbs up. That is a thing that happened and will never unhappen in wrestling.
1: Life. Is Let's good. put it this way: If Shibata gets like. Your body gets pissed off by New Japan. Come here.
0: There you go. Come, Come here. here. <laughs> Come here and go be Orange Cassidy's tag team partner. So Zack Saber Jr. comes out, um, and we're waiting to see. Who Brian Danielson picked and in what is easily like the worst kept secret since CM Punk was definitely not going to show up at Chicago on Rampage. It is revealed to be Claudio Castagnoli, the artist formerly known as Cesaro, making his first non-WWE appearance since
1: Chikara? Chikara, uh, yep. 2014
0: 15 coming out with easily yeah, easily one of the best themes i've ever heard is that is that a new theme or was that his theme from the old days sh-
1: i can not i'm pretty sure it was a ringer of honor shikara theme it's william tell overture in 1812 if yeah. anybody can't put their finger on what exactly that is but uh so swedish yes it's feel fucking oh my god I you know what I don't think it was the worst kept secret. I think once people put the pieces together, it was like this is it. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I forget what the other name was that people were mentioning.
0: Uh uh Johnny Gargano.
1: Yeah. No, dude. Fucking It go, was Johnny far, Gargano yeah.
0: and Jonathan Gresham. Listen, no disrespect to Johnny Gargano, who is one of the best parts of NXT Black and Gold and an absolutely fantastic wrestler. He would not have fit this match because yes, he he is absolutely like a guy that goes technical. But Brian Danielson specifically said that this is also a guy that will kick the ever-loving shit out of you, and that's not exactly who Gargano is. He's like an I'll-out-work-you guy. And then the mm-hmm. other name was Jonathan Grisham, which, look, I love Jonathan Grisham. Um, not the time. He is a great technical wrestler. ZSJ versus Grisham in like Ring of Honor or New Japan, I would absolutely watch. Uh, the crowd would have immediately turned on both of them.
1: Talk uh, about a guy who fucking plays up the crowd. I mean yeah, that, that's that's no secret to me and you but he hit a home run here. Well,
0: that's what's funny is what, ZSJ or Claudio? Yes, ZSJ. Oh, well, listen, ZSJ, uh ZSJ is one of the best talkers in wrestling and he's so good in the ring and he's such a character. Yeah, he's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. This match was while it was not the absolute technical spectacle that we were hoping to get from Brian Danielson, make no mistake, these two made magic in that ring. Claudio Castagnoli has, is one of the worst-kept secrets in wrestling as one of the best wrestlers on the planet, and so is Zach. And this match just it worked on every level. If you didn't come away a, a, a fan of both of these two after this match, then check your pulse because you are dead.
1: Legitimately thought that uh, Claudio hurt his arm.
0: Yeah, but that's because he's great and because ZSJ just makes everything he does look so painful. Yes. I told everybody, I'm not going to spend that much time talking on Forbidden Door, and look at that, I've lied. Whatever. Anyway, then we got to the last two matches of the night. So for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, the recently crowned Jay White takes on... Hangman Adam Page, the recent loser of the AEW World Championship. Kazuchika Okada, the recent loser of the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. And Adam Cole, recent loser. In a four-way match. Here's the thing. This match, um, the thing that sucked about this match is that Cole, Adam Cole, definitely got concussed at some point in a match okada didn't hit a rainmaker on cole because he like collapsed and i have to think that that was not intentional especially because jay white then hits a a, a blade runner on okada and pins cole it was a weird ending but it became clear almost immediately that cole was legitimately hurt and so mm-hmm. that was not like because at first i was like what the fuck is this booking decision but then pretty quickly you're like okay you know that's
1: right and just you could that- tell jay white
0: Well, Jay, like, Jay, like, takes a second to look and then, you know, all right, fuck it, speed to the finish. Rainmaker, he looks like he puts a lot of weight on Cole because Cole does try to kick out. The ref calls three anyway, and, uh, you know, this was obviously the ending was probably supposed to be Cole gets hit with the Rainmaker. Jay White hits the Blade Runner on Okada and then pins Cole. However, regardless of that, this match was so fucking fun. Adam Cole and Hangman Adam Page were both vying – well, Page called out Okada originally. Cole comes out and says, you don't even know that Okada will be championed by Forbidden Door. He is correct. Jay White had defeated Okada. Page says, I want this match with Okada anyway. Adam Cole goes, too bad. Okada's not going to be there. I'm going to have this match with Jay White. Jay White comes out. Hangman Adam Page, I'm 2-0 against you. You're not getting a match against me. But Adam Cole, you're not getting a match either. Q Okada's Money Fallen in, in Milwaukee, and here we have this four-way. Uh the story being told here is that Adam Cole and Jay White are gonna team together, but Adam Cole is, of course, steamed at Jay for not giving him the one-on-one. And AW and New Japan very smartly only gave Hangman and Okada one sequence, and it was an incredible sequence. Um
1: Aye, that's a good that's a good catch that I did not Yeah, only,
0: only one one-on-one sequence between them. It only lasts about 45 seconds. But in those 45 seconds, you're like, wow, this match would be such a fucking big deal. Which is a hard thing to believe if you were watching when when Hangman Adam Page was in New Japan. That it would be this big a deal.
1: Legitimately benefited all individuals Absolutely. in this match. Look, Just hope Cole isn't... Uh, 'Cause I read that his, his arm is apparently hanging by well, his threads. so I he just was, hope that- He
0: had like his shoulder I think it was like a labrum injury and then like he probably mm-hmm. got concussed. Uh there have been some talks that Cole's been a little overexposed. This is a great time to like let him heal again, up, recover, uh, and he'll come back and we'll all love him again.
1: Another point to make is that, you know, we couldn't stop talking about Adam Cole next year and then one Twitter uses like he's kinda small, isn't he?
0: Yeah. And then all of a sudden
1: He doesn't ah, look like a wrestler. He's bad
0: <laughs> Yeah, look, let's not body shame people just because Adam Cole it maybe could like, like sure, he could maybe put on some weight and some muscle, but also it's
1: such a fucking dumb talking point in wrestling also, like you don't also, need to like didn't we not rail against WWE for doing this, like not building up Daniel Bryan, because it Koda, like, Koda Ibushi no, it's
0: wrestled a match against a plastic sex doll. Kenny Omega wrestled a nine-year-old girl. Wrestling is stupid. Nothing makes sense. It's fine. We're all fine. <laughs>
1: but even if this is, is not like fucking Adam Cole doesn't have the goddamn repertoire to fucking back himself up. Adam
0: Cole That's, is also in better shape than 99% of people that watch yeah, wrestling. Sure. He's, is his it. cardio's incredible. Go fuck yourself. Whatever. Anyway... This match was so much fun. Jay White rightly wins. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Dave Meltzer for being the biggest fucking mark on this goddamn planet. Because... Davey boy fucking Meltzy over here goes on his dumb little fucking podcast radio show and goes you know I think the smartest decision would be that New Japan should put the belt on Hangman Adam Page it would be the best thing for his story and for for New Japan for what
1: are you going to disagree with that
0: yes I'm going to disagree with that and I disagree with that as a massive Hangman Adam Page fan okay jay white no, respect respect jay white no, no,
1: i understand that but this this match reeked of jay white losing it
0: no, no, so no, no, that no, no.
1: okada couldn't lose his champion in this, this match if That this was to match require.
0: only I'm reeks just, of this match only reeks of jay white losing if you're a dumb idiot mark that doesn't care about that side of the story I,
1: yeah i i get that like this isn't for the american benefit but i it it, it that like it, little tells in wrestling Like, that's the reason why Jay White lost, you know. But, I mean, like, it wasn't going to work. Like, Hangman is New Japan champion. But I, you know, here's not that I would have hated
0: it. Dave Dave Meltzer decided that despite the fact that Hangman Adam Page was not going to be in the G1 and the G1 tournament was starting in, like, a week after this show, aside from the fact that Jay White just completed a three-year journey to become the un- the official top gaijin in New Japan. And despite the fact that the crowds in Japan, while I'm sure they love Hangman, don't love him as much as Jay White, who literally got Osaka Joe Hall to break the fucking sound barrier and cheer for him. This this reeks of, da- like, I'm usually one that's not like, oh, Dave Meltzer, uh, you know, he's, you know, Yes, he loves the elite and whatever, but we're too harsh on him. No, fuck that. This dude is a goddamn Tony Khan, Mark. The old like and he's a guy that covers New Japan. The idea that he thinks it's in New Japan's best interest to put their belt on a guy who hasn't been there in three years over their most popular gaijin and the ace of New Japan is it's insane. It's such an American take.
1: yeah. No, it is. I think. I think uh, Meltzer just used it from the point of like, Hangman is a rarity in the wrestling, to where he's for the like, Hangman is a guy is a wrestler for the people. So, you know, no, I I completely agree with you. Look, um I but there's I, no way that Tony's gonna let fucking uh adam go over for months
0: i have to think and also i'd have to think that tony khan has enough respect for gato and new japan to not be like hi give me your top title and maybe (laughs) i'll give you and maybe i'll give you an interim championship like what
1: it's just my it's just my opinion i don't know why you're getting I i got so angry
0: all right, stupid fucking idiot. Uh, and the main event, John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW Interim World Championship. The ace, the galactic ace, got a 16,000-person crowd in Chicago to boo John Moxley in an AEW-friendly arena at mm-hmm. an AEW event. Hiroshi Tanahashi is the greatest wrestler of all time. I will take no questions on this. No, 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 I don't care. Hiroshi Tanahashi, greatest wrestler of all time. Has there ever been a guy like Tanahashi might be one of the only people I can think of that connects to a crowd in a way that like you could say Hogan did where he just shows up and it doesn't matter where in the world he shows up. He's just a guy that crowds are instantly like, "Mm, yep, I like you. I like him. And he's 45 years
1: old. Well, people have just been dying for this American run. Okay. Inverse question to you. Tanahashi wins. Is does that mean?
0: That was something that I, I remember we talked about this last episode. Tanahashi winning the AEW Interim Championship would have made far more sense than Hangman Adam Page winning the there. actual IWGP World Heavyweight Championship because there is a logic in Tony Khan going, okay, look. Our actual champion is on the shelf probably until our next pay-per-view. Let's have the interim champion be one of the most popular wrestlers in the world. One of the most well-respected guys in Japan. Have him bring the title to the G1. Put on a bunch of fucking classics. Do the CM Punk-Hiroshi Tanahashi match at... um, all Out and will elevate the All-Atlantic and TNT Championship uh, and Tag Championships in the meantime. Am I saying that that like makes sense from a business standpoint? Not necessarily. I'm not trying to pretend that I know anything about anything. But that logic makes a lot more sense than Hangman Adam Page wins the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship and either doesn't take it back to Japan or only works the pre-shows of the G1 like it just it's not something that would have made sense to me I don't think because it's so important for the IWGP heavyweight champion to be in the G1 that's always it's a huge deal the champion has to be in the G1 because that sets up your feuds leading into Wrestle Kingdom so you you couldn't you couldn't do that without fucking everything New Japan does whereas in AEW's case well, you have an opportunity where you could do something weird, and maybe it would make sense,
1: right? And it would just would have been a built-in American run for Tanahashi.
0: Exactly. You you know he's in the G one. Let him be in the G one. He's not going to win the G one. Then let him go back to America, and then like he can have a Wrestle Kingdom match against Punk or some shit like that. Whatever or, or all out. Whatever. Anyway, uh, this match was a lot of fun. Moxley bladed himself for no reason. Um,
1: yeah, like. I don't know.
0: The man loves I, blood.
1: I get it. I don't know. It's a little egregious. Yeah,
0: it's a little egregious. It's it's very uh it's very Eddie Guerrero of him. <laughs> but regardless, this match delivered on every front. The long-awaited meeting between these two was everything you could hope it was. Moxley clearly with the utmost respect for the ace. Uh the ace Building just such a good baby face comeback at the end, and then I don't want to say ruined, but it was weird to have like the Jericho Appreciation Society and then Blackpool Combat Club come out and you know do that at the end while Tana just kind of lays there and Moxley's all bloodied. I I I understand you're setting up for blood and guts, but I kind of feel like you could have just had Moxley and Tana, you know, bow. Whatever. You made
1: me come back down a little bit of earth about it, but not a fan. It,
0: It was a. It was a weird moment. Like I, I don't think Had, it, like just ruined, but I was like, eh, I
1: don't know. Just have Tanahashi like, fight or like, back. yeah,
0: or like, why not have him hit a sling blade on someone and then Moxley and Tana Jericho can stand tall like, and, and like, yeah. like, yeah, it was like and they
1: all celebrate. Like you can't, they, he just, you, you can't just have Tana st- lying he, in the he ring. Just I, laid I
0: there. It's weird.
1: Why would Jericho
0: like- ignore him? Yeah, very strange.
1: But anyway, you, but I mean, that's not even like, but you did you did get contributing that contributing to at, my uh, excitement about
0: that. You got that fun moment where Claudio got a second pop. And then at the end, Eddie Kingston walks up and he's like, what the fuck are, is he doing here? And oh, a yeah. Claudio looks and he's like, mm-hmm. fuck you. Because for those that don't know and probably would have no reason to know, uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Eddie Kingston had a massive, like, year-long feud in Chikara that never actually had a conclusion because before Kingston could, like, beat the ultra-heel Claudio for the Chikara championship, uh, Claudio then became Cesaro and went to WWE. So, like, that never got a blow-off.
1: Which is great that they're doing it, cult. Love it. Did not need to do that whatsoever, but... No, it was
0: great, and it it happened. Uh, the little thing as well.
1: Uh, love the love the Chikara representation in wrestling.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: look, it's, it's always not, been there. Don't get me wrong. It's but not I mean, their like,
0: fault that Quackenbush is uh maybe not. Yeah, excellent. I mean, don't even
1: don't even look at that from that that aspect. It's just like you know, just like that that it's like you know, they really did have a, a special group of guys during that era. Um, or if you want to look at it from this way, love the. Uh, love the cap representation in wrestling.
0: Yeah, oh well, listen, creative pro wrestling just they're taking over. Uh so what is this 50 minutes I spent talking about this fucking show?
1: Whatever. We've been planning for this shit for two since Look, we started the goddamn podcast. So get over it.
0: <laughs> here that's that's really what this is, Ryan. This is and like I said like I know I said I wanted to spend more time talking about the history and then I but the history is so intermingled in all of this because like I said at the end of the day, this is probably the most successful – this is by far the most successful crossover event they had since the G1 Supercard. I'm going to hedge a bet that it was significantly more profitable even with New Japan being the main side um, for the G1 Supercard versus probably being like a 60-40 split or whatever for mm-hmm. AEW at this. Uh This shows that the AEW crowds will respond to New Japan. Uh, And it came out afterwards that New Japan wanted Hangman and Moxley and Danielson at the G1. And the only thing that stopped that was not politics, but the fact that like all three of them have young children at home and then obviously like injuries. And, you know, if everybody was healthy and their kids were like not newborns, you probably see them in the G1. But the fact that that comes out at all, the fact that they gave the to, the titles to FDR, the fact that they had Osprey and Cassidy, you know, Osprey goes over in, in you know, no-brainer. We're going to see many more step-ins. Even with this Friday, you're going to have a Young Bucks versus, um, I think it's Bishiman is what the team is, Goto and Yoshihashi. So this is a partnership that is obviously going to continue into the future. And all that means is great news for everybody else who loves wrestling
1: that's all there really is to it Uh, right this show this show is going to walk so the future forbidden doors can
0: exactly because there will be a time whenever forbidden two happens forbidden door two happens whether it's in japan whether it's in america there will be a time where kenny omega will be back in a New Japan ring, one way or another, you will get Danielson's E.S.J. You will get people in the G One. You will get New Japan excursions to AEW, and, and let it
1: go to New Japan next year.
0: Absolutely, I I think this deserves to be at the Tokyo Dome next year, or or the Nippon Budokan or Osaka Joe Hall. One of their big three definitely deserves uh, this event.
1: I don't want to hear no fucking crying about it. It being on at fucking three uh, in the morning, it's on at you 2 wake up. Fuck you. You wake up and you watch that. The
0: Japanese did it for telling you. you I'm telling you, tell can do you it for right now. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm telling you right now, dude. do <laughs>
0: fuck you. Shut up. Anyway, Forbidden Door, great success for both parties. Uh, profitability doesn't matter to us. All we care about is we're getting good wrestling out of it. God bless. Um, but you know, not to, not to leave them in the dark money in a bank is this Saturday and, uh, thank God it's on a Saturday. I can't watch it because we will be at a party, but, uh, you know, fun either way. Uh, money in the bank. Look, y'all know what money in the bank is. Six people enter a ring. They climb a ladder. They grab a suitcase. Winner gets the cash in for a WWE title shot whenever they want, although they've Kind of like suggested that maybe this would be for a WrestleMania match, but that was something Cody said, so I don't actually know if that's like I'm. I'm just gonna ignore it. No, uh, I
1: think people running with it too hard. Cody just mentioned if I win, I'm gonna cash in a WrestleMania. It doesn't mean like I yeah, know that's in fair. The past, He's, if that's if
0: just if Cody saying that. Yeah, it's his character
1: has said shit on the fly to where they have to change the entire year booking of it. But I think that was just something that people like what?
0: So. Yeah, and 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 I think in a. In a world where Cody Rhodes doesn't get hurt because Cody Rhodes is out for like nine months with a torn pectoral. Uh, in a in a world where Cody Rhodes is not hurt, he's probably winning this. As it stands, if his injury timetable is, you know, good for him, he'll probably win the rumble. But either way, uh, from the bottom up, you're gonna get Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley for the WWE United States Championship. Um, hopefully they give this to Bobby. No disrespect to Austin Theory, but uh, love babyface Bobby Bobby deserves everything uh, you're going to get the Usos versus the Street Profits for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship uh, these folks have really good chemistry with one another but uh, look I, I'm, I'm not I don't really think the Usos are going to be losing these tag belts until they're ready to take the belt off of Roman and then that'll happen like right before so don't expect the Usos to lose this Ronda Rousey versus Natalia for the SmackDown Women's Championship, which has actually been a pretty fun build. Natalia's getting some real good zingers on Rousey and dressed up as her and all that shit. Um Ronda continues to be the biggest baby in WWE, but Natalia's
1: very Natalia, dude. Don't Natalia's
0: it. playing it up really well and look, again, don't expect Natalia to win this, but this should, you know, as long as Ronda and and we've said before, like Ronda's really good in the ring. As long as Ronda doesn't like over politic this, Natalia is one of the best workers on the roster, and I fully expect this to be like a really fun uh, yeah. grappling submission based uh, match. And this will be a good defense for Ronda and a good showing for Natalia. Who does and it. yeah,
1: because like you know the groaning that people give to Natalia, like the woman knows her shit, and pairing her with someone that is a technical wrestler she's gonna pull out the moves she knows what to do is she she the fastest in the ring no but she is uh one of the few women on the wwe roster who knows her shit from a technicality standpoint. i don't think we have to mention anything of where she comes so
0: um so then Just
1: just an old 80 year old Stu hart I'm going to
0: stretch out, Italian. That's probably why she's so fucking
1: badass. I mean, let's be honest.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, And I'm sorry, it's seven people in each Money in the Bank ladder match. Is it normally six? Did I come out with that number out of nowhere?
1: Yeah, whatever. No, I think it it is six.
0: Well, anyway, uh, then you're going to have the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, which is fully announced. You're going to have the returning Lacey Evans who they were going to maybe make a face and then immediately turned heel again, but whatever, uh, versus Alexa bliss, who is now this combination of, uh, the goddess as well uh, as but still having Lily. Sell that merch. Yeah. But, uh, I love, I, I'm happy to see Alexa back. So I'm fine with it. Oh, she versus wins. the somewhat ascendant Liv Morgan, Versus Raquel Rodriguez, aka Raquel Gonzalez, one of the more dominant NXT women's champions, and somebody who is, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna give the main roster this. Uh, when it comes to NXT call ups, uh, the men are usually the ones that suffer, but you've got Raquel and Shotzi, um, Blackheart both in these matches. And when you look at that, as well as Bianca and, um, uh, Rhea Ripley like they are they're doing a pretty good job with the women call-ups for NXT and and they have done pretty good with that for a while um even with Kyrie as well so Raquel Rodriguez versus Asuka versus Shotzi Blackheart versus Becky Lynch Becky Lynch um her character's really hitting its stride now with big time Bex now becoming big loser Bex and she doesn't really know who she is and she's trying really hard to be this like big uber heel and she it's just not working for her. So she is 100% not winning this match. If I had to guess who was going to win this match, I would probably guess one of Asuka being, becoming a two-time champ because I think Asuka's very safe money when it comes to like, you know, women in the main event. Uh, I would say Alexa Bliss would probably be my second most likely choice, you know, because listen, Alexa has been out of the title scene for an extremely long time. And I think it's perfectly fine for her to be back there now. Um, and in my dark horse would be Liv or Raquel. I know I've named four out of the seven, mm-hmm. but like, I think Asuka and Alexa are the front runners, but Liv they've been pushing more. So I could see that. And in Raquel, um Raquel, I really think they they want to push as well. But for a money in the bank cash in, I feel like Alexa makes the most sense.
1: Yeah, that's who I'm going. With.
0: Then for the men, you've got Seth freaking Rollins versus Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus versus Omos versus Sami Zayn versus Riddle versus we are not sure who the seventh person is, and I'm sure we'll be figured out tomorrow. Uh you know what? I'm gonna go crazy. I'm gonna say Sami Zayn takes this one.
1: I was hoping you were gonna say that.
0: Here's the thing, man. I have been saying, we have been saying for years on this podcast that Sami Zayn, great heel that he is, great character. Uh, you know, I get it. Sami Zayn, as a babyface, is one of the most underutilized people WWE has ever had. And the idea that he like got you know dismissed by the bloodline and embarrassed because he's just trying to like do whatever he can, the idea that like crazy conspiracy theory Sammy gets disrespected by the bloodline and then cashes in on Roman and takes one of the belts, I feel like it writes itself. And I am telling I am telling you right now, look. I understand I'm not watching as much WWE these days, but make no mistake. Sammy is fucking over. And if that dude cashes in on Roman, look, man, Cody's not here. Call a fucking audible. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Or Riddle. Or Riddle. So I, I, I'm going to say my choice is Sami Zayn. But of course, when you're talking about money in the bank, you're talking about Mr. Money in the Bank, Seth Rollins. He can get that briefcase anytime. Seth Rollins probably deserves a championship at this point, and I would love to see him repeat the heist of the century. But I think probably Riddle does make a little bit more sense because they are really pushing Riddle to the fucking moon.
1: Also, it can get finally get Riddle and Brock Lesnar in the ring.
0: Yeah, which it won't. But-
1: if, if presumably he cashes in.
0: Well, Brock doesn't have
1: belts. Well, no, he's facing Roman, though.
0: Oh, I OK. Yeah, I I'm saying okay. like if he you're saying like if himself. he were to if he were to. Answer. Yeah, OK, I got it. Got yep. it. Uh, and in yeah. the main event, Bianca Belair versus Carmella. Look, yeah. let's but you know what? Look, Carmella put in a lot of work to become a no, lot better I'm not, in the
1: ring. I'm not like, listen, I'm not saying anything against Carmella. It's just no, like but
0: it's a little math. Sure. I get it. It's a little math, eh. um, but she is a pretty good worker now. And all I care about is Bianca continuing to win. And uh you might be wondering where's the undisputed WWE championship. It's not here, because Roman don't work Saturdays.
1: Oh, I'm thinking of SummerSlam. You're I'm thinking sorry. of SummerSlam. What, yeah, okay. Sorry, my bad.
0: Uh, which is at the end of July this year, July 30th, I believe. Uh
1: My man really wants a vacation. Or he's he's just, he's just like legitimately mad.
0: I don't know. I I far be it for me to question the head of the table. But uh yeah, that's what you got going for money in the bank. Pretty straightforward stuff. I mean, look, WWE when it comes to money in the bank, uh, they tend to hit more often than they miss. It's a simple card. There's not a lot of surprises outside of the money in the bank ladder matches, and I think that's fine. Um, yeah. The only title I see changing, I feel like Bobby Lashley takes the belt off of Austin Theory. I'm sorry, Theory. Let me not let me not say his uh, his dead name. But look, Money in the <laughs> Bank is one of those events like Royal Rumble where as long as they don't overthink it, it's a lot of fun. Except for last year when the Royal Rumble was a lot of not fun. But whatever.
1: what uh, was going to say, um, kind of bad that WWE couldn't sell out the football stadium.
0: Yes, that is the big story here, is that uh, they had to move to the MGM Grand Garden, which is a 17,000 uh, person arena versus the football stadium, which I have to assume is in like the, I don't know, 50,000 area or whatever. Yeah, 50,
1: 60. Uh,
0: what, it's a T-Mobile. No, the T-Mobile arena is the Golden Knights. Whatever. Yeah, it's much it's bigger. It's a rager stadium. Uh, look, WWE's is fine. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: it's just, you know. Yeah, it, but WWE is failing, that's it.
0: Uh, look, I'll always root for WWE uh, failing just because, like, they're not going to. They're not going to mm-hmm. fail. So I see no harm in rooting against them. And also, right. like, uh, they're boring. But, you know, whatever. Anyway, so that's this weekend. Uh, AW Blood and Guts happened yesterday. Blackpool Combat Club won uh, it was very bloody. It was a very fun match. Blood and guts is AEW's war games. It's absolutely worth a rewatch. A lot of great stuff happened. JR called Claudio Cesaro and Taz called Ruby Riot. Ruby uh, Ruby Soho Ruby Riot. So that was fun. Um, and that's that's you know that's what we got here for today. Um, so Ryan, as we wrap up here, do we have a legend killer?
1: I do, and it's coming. Your way.
0: In the town where I was born lived a man across the shore. Is that Coda? No. Oh wait, no, hold on. That's Tana.
1: That's Tana, but that's Tana. Tana as
0: it's Tana as Chun Li. Yes. This is... yeah No, you're right. It was absolutely Tanahashi. I think I assumed Ibushi because Ibushi's stupid pretty. So I was like, oh, Ibushi dressed up as a girl? I can buy that. But yeah, no, the biceps and eyes should have given it away immediately.
1: I'd love for Tanahashi just to fucking show up in this and fucking just beat the ever-loving out of shit out of Proud Boys.
0: If you replaced Tanahashi's arms with his legs, it would be a perfect costume for (laughs) Chun-Li. This is a beautiful... Uh, uh, confusing to look at picture of Hiroshi Tanahashi dressed up as legendary Street Fighter character, maybe the I would think no less than the third most recognized or cosplayed as Street Fighter character behind Ryu and Ken uh, Chun-Li, the master of kicks herself, well, I wonder if he's wearing spandex in this uh, look man stupid sexy Tana is what it is. Stupid sexy Tana. Uh that is a pretty pretty man and I dare you to make fun of him for dressing up as Chun-Li to his face.
1: Yeah. yeah. I can't tell that tell... man tell that man he can't read story time yeah, at the Yeah, library. yeah, go
0: tell him he can't go in the fucking bathroom he wants to go in. Um I can't tell if you're just giving me softballs or if like you no, just No, that can't... was just
1: too good. Not I found that earlier this week and I it's it's, it's a good placement. You know,
0: Ryan's giving me softballs. I appreciate that. It, it boosts my confidence because otherwise, he's going to give me the fucking crusher next time.
1: are going to make me look into the archive. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. All right. So, as we wrap up here, folks, uh, what have we been listening to, Ryan?
1: Uh, after a long awaited absence, Mars Volta finally has a new single out. Oh, that's fine. Uh, Blacklight Shine. Uh, not as crazy as previous Mars Volta material has been, but uh, just glad to have them back. Um, I've also been listening to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. One of the
0: best names in rock and roll today.
1: absolutely. And my throwback.
0: Well, well, who is King Gizzard and the
1: Lizard Wizard? Oh, King Gizzard and the, oh, wizard King wizard Gizzard and Gizzard. the lizard, lizard Wizard. wizard. Uh sort of like a proto-prog metal band uh, absolutely killing it with their with their material. Uh, just a fun, psychedelic, hard rock band to listen
0: to. I'm trying to remember if there was an album I really liked from them. Um...
1: Definitely, they just came out with a new album, uh, Omnium Gatherum. Mm-hmm. But my favorite from them was definitely... Back in,
0: including live albums. Oh, uh, infest
1: the rat's nest, definitely.
0: Including live albums, they have released twenty-three albums in Mm -hmm. twelve years.
1: And they said we got five more. Where that came from?
0: Where are they, fish?
1: (laughs) That's exactly who people compare them to. (laughs) (laughs) Not in terms of like you know, just in terms of like
0: prolificness,
1: output. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. prolificness.
0: And what's your third?
1: Uh, I'm going to throw it back to The Lonesome Crowded West. Ah,
0: uh, that's fun. I was always a, uh, I always get the fucking title wrong. Is it The Moon in Antarctica or Antarctica and the Moon?
1: The Moon in Antarctica.
0: I like that album a lot.
1: Yeah, um, I saw them at Boston Calling Man and like they are well into their career, but dude, like their new album slaps. I love, I, like, you know what I mean? whatever 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 algorithm or formula uh, uh, uh Mr. Brock has in applying to his music just absolutely
0: works yeah uh so one album that i've listened to a lot today uh i'm not going to be telling about because maybe we'll talk about it on the next episode or the episode after but uh It's an album that's going to end up being one of my albums of the year. So just give you something for that. I'm still listening to too much Romstein, but I'm not going to talk about them today. Um, Instead, I'm going to uh, throw it to one of the heaviest doom bands uh, you can listen to. And that is Ahab and their album from 2006, The Call of the Wretched Seas. Uh, As you might guess, this is a Moby Dick inspired album And uh, I personally think that this beats out Leviathan by Macedon for the preeminent Moby Dick album. If you ever wondered what it would be like to just live out the rest of your life, drowning at the bottom of the Marianas trench uh, or going insane, trying to hunt for something in the sea. This is the album for you. It is just crushingly, crushingly powerful doom metal uh, and I, it is, it is a heavy recommend for anybody that's into their slow sludgy stuff. Um, and, uh, I guess I'll throw it to Megadeth. Uh, look, Uncle Dave oh, is
1: yeah, we have to, probably we have to the
0: most problematic person in metal, which is saying a lot considering that, uh, you know, Tim Lambesis is like out here touring, but,
1: uh, I don't uh, like, you know, he's just a fucking crotchy old fucking boomer. You Uncle know Dave, I mean?
0: Uncle Dave is very very racist and very unpleasant. But um, I, I can't sit here and pretend that Megadeth is, has not been one of my favorite bands of all time for a very long time now. And their most recent single uh, will be back off of their album. I assume this is the title, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. Uh, title uh, uh, stylized in the same way as. Uh, as. um Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm forgetting my fucking discographies here. Oh, boy. Uh, What, the song? No, the the title is very – there we go. Like, so far, so good, so what? Oh, yeah. Uh, Very much a callback to that album. Um, This is definitely the fastest single they've put out since 2009's Head Crusher. Um, This is just a a balls-to-the-wall, old-school thrash song. And when Megadeth decides to be old-school thrash, there's very few that do it better. Um,
1: I heard his son helped him write it, and uh, you know, blast beats in a Megadeth song definitely something. That's fun. That's fun.
0: Yeah, you know, triplets, tremolo picking, fast drum. It's it's got everything you'd want in a prototypical thrash song. And look, is it like the best thrash song you'll listen to? No, but that's not why it's here. It's really here because like Megadeth's last four albums really have been extremely mediocre, and Mm -hmm. so any idea that it could be interesting is like worth talking about. Right. Uh, but so that's what we got for you. So uh, obviously not probably the next episode, with uh, the episode after we'll be talking about SummerSlam. Uh, the next episode, we'll be talking about Money in the Bank. Um, you know, look, this is the season of many pay-per-views, and so it'll be probably more review heavy than I want it to be. But uh, we will try to spice it up, and we got um, something in the works for the ends of the month. That should be fun. So until then... For Ryan and for myself this has been the most electrifying must listen to podcast in sports entertainment this has been F F C